Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor podcast features Sunday sermons. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. I really believe today, if you can maybe, maybe imagine that we are all uh, seated around a table and at this table today, God has an incredible feast for us. Now, if you can kind of get in your mind, this feast, uh, it doesn't have a single piece of fried chicken in it. There, there's not a single piece of chocolate cake available to you today. In fact, man, this is a veggie delight, right? There's like, there's loads of Brussels sprouts. There's loads of English peas. There's loads of turnips. I mean, there's just loads of veggies, right? And, and you know, I I'll just say this, it's loads of all that stuff that's really hard to swallow. But I just believe this, if we are willing to eat what God's putting on the table today, uh, He will really do some incredible things in our lives. Amen? So I'm just asking you today, man, please don't resist what God is saying. Don't resist what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. Uh, If anything, man, just open up your heart and say, God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want to do in me. Amen? So listen, today, if I can maybe just say this, what I'm going to preach, I'm not angry. Man, this is the heart of God. God. In fact, this is uh, the scripture that I think that I want to begin with. We'll throw it up on the screen. It says this in Hebrews 10, 24, 25. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another or to spur one another on towards acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's what today is about. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house today. God, I thank you for the opportunity to gather with people who love you. And Lord, I'm simply asking that today's message would not only challenge us, but it would encourage us and it would motivate each one of us to acts of love and good works. And so Holy Spirit, thank you for the anointing that opens our eyes, opens our ears, and opens up our hearts so we can receive from heaven. Today, God, we choose not to resist what you are doing, but Lord, we choose to draw close. And Lord, we believe as we draw close, you'll draw near to us. And Lord, our lives will be radically changed. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Let me start by saying this. Uh, Several days ago, I was actually uh, standing in my kitchen, and out of nowhere, I was struck with the thought of the vast difference between who I am today in comparison to who I used to be before I surrendered my life to Jesus. It was so wild, y'all. As I stood there, I thought about my old behavior. I thought about my old thought patterns, my old way of speaking, my old desires, my old passions, my old view of life, the old view of myself, and ultimately, my old view of God. And as I stood there, I was just so aware of the sense of lostness that I had once experienced when I was living and wondering in spiritual darkness. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Literally, I stood there, just froze, and I was staring out the windows of the back of my house, and I just remembered how when I met Jesus, the trajectory of my life completely changed. And I thought about who and where I could be today if I didn't have him in my life. And lastly, I thought about how I have had the joy of experiencing the greatest miracle that a human being could ever experience, and that is salvation. 
right? And it was, at, it was at that point the Lord dropped a verse in my heart. Now, I believe one might think, you know, a, a variety of verses could maybe, you know, uh, connect to that moment. In fact, I'll give you two that I think people go, oh, that would be a good one. Uh, the first one is Colossians 1, 13-14. It says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom with his blood and forgave our sins. That's a great verse, yes? Or maybe the verse could have been, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But I want you to know today that those were not the ones that came. Instead, the verse that I knew that the Holy Spirit was highlighting in my heart was Romans 12.1. Please listen to this. This is the verse we're going to sit on today. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, or some translations say, your spiritual act of worship. Guys, as I stood there in my kitchen, the words, in view of God's mercy, exploded in me. It was like, in other words, God was literally trying to remind me, Quentin, look, look at all the things I've done for you and I've continued to do for you. Quentin, I'm trying to remind you because of the mercy and the kindness and the compassion that I've shown you. I'm trying to remind you because I saved you. You didn't save yourself. I saved you. And it was like in that moment he was trying to remind me of what he desires for my life's response to be towards him in return for all that he has done for me in my life. Now, what is that response that he wants from not only me, but he wants from you? Uh, let's actually read the verse again, but this time I want to read it out of the Passion Translation. It says this, once again in Romans 12, 1, it says, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to do what? To surrender yourselves to God. I want you to notice today how those words suggest that it's a willingness on our part. Yes? So I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be His sacred living sacrifices. Can somebody say living sacrifices? Living sacrifices. And then it says, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. In other words, all that pleases Him, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Once again, as I stood there, the impression I got from him was so often we not only forget how far he has brought us, but we also forget that we are supposed to continually surrender or willingly offer up our lives as a living sacrifice back to him, not just once at an altar for the moment of salvation, but as a continual expression of our gratitude and our worship to him. Amen? You see, it's in this biblical truth here what lies the difference between a believer who lived under the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, right? We know that the Old Covenant centered around the sacrificing of bulls and goats. Therefore, it was ultimately marked by one word. It was death, right? But under the New Covenant, since Jesus has already paid the ultimate price, right, as the perfect sacrifice, as He paid uh, for His life, His death, right, on our behalf, our lives are now marked by the living sacrifice that we offer to Him. By how? By how we choose to live our lives. So in light of this truth, I want to take the next few moments today and I simply want to unpack those two words of what it really means to be a living sacrifice. So let's start with the first word, living. You know, as I thought about 
that scripture and I prayed about what it means to be a living sacrifice, there were two scriptures that immediately came in my heart. And the first one is found in John 13. Now, this is a passage I'm sure most of you guys are familiar with, uh, but we'll set the scene anyways. So, in this chapter, we find Jesus and his 12 disciples. They're sitting around the table in the upper room. We know that they just celebrate the Passover meal together for the last time. And during the meal, right, we know that Jesus identified Judas as his betrayer. I don't know about you, but I think that could have been an awkward moment, right? And, and listen, once they were done eating, Jesus got up. We know he took his outer cloak off and he took a basin, right, and a towel and he washed his disciples' feet to show them this is what it means to actually have the heart of a servant, right? And once he got done with that, he set the table and he began to say, fellas, a new commandment I give you, that you should love one another as I have loved you. Why? Because by doing so, the world will know that you are with me, right? And so, listen, as you can imagine, sitting at the table that night, man, there had to be a wide range of emotions flowing through their hearts as the, as the evening kind of unfolded, right? Uh, but, but the crazy part that I want to see is it wasn't until the, the bombshell that Jesus dropped when he actually told them, hey, guys, I'm going to be leaving you soon. In other words, he was predicting his death. And it was at that point that something stirred up in Peter, and Peter said this in John chapter 13, verses 36 and 38. Please listen. Listen. Says Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, You can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come with you now, Lord? He asked, Watch this, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, Die for me? I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me, that you're going to deny three times that you even have a connection with me. Now remember, what are we talking about? We're talking about being a living sacrifice. So can you picture this with me just for a moment, that here's Peter telling Jesus, right, bold statements, that I love you so much and I'm so committed to you, man, I'm willing to die for you. But Jesus, knowing what was really in Peter's heart, really knowing what Peter was made of, he responded to Peter's bold claims with these simple words. In essence, he told him this, Peter, that's great that you're willing to die for me, but before you try to die for me, why don't you start by trying to live for me first? Yeah. Right, and here's why we know this. We all know what happens next, right? A few hours later, Jesus is in the garden praying. We know that they come and they arrest him, right? And he's led away to uh, stand, before, uh, you know, stand in trial before the religious leaders of his day. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus was being led there, that Peter followed him at a distance. And when they got to the place where, where Jesus was taken and he couldn't go in, so he stood in the outer court. And that's where we pick up the story in Matthew 26. It says this. It says, Meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl came over and said to him, You were one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Later out, uh, out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it, this time with an oath. I don't even know the man, he said. A little later, some of the other bystanders came over to Peter and said, You must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. And then verse 74 says, Peter swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. It says, and immediately the rooster crowed. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. And it says that Peter went away weeping bitterly. 
So as you can see, what Jesus predicted is exactly what happened, that, that Peter had the opportunity to live right for Jesus in front of these people, but instead, I don't know if it was because of the fear of man or maybe because uh, there was such a desire to, uh, you know, for self-preservation, whatever it might have been, that he chose instead to live for Jesus, he chose to deny Jesus not just once but actually three times. Now, listen, I fully realize as we're sitting here today, there's probably not a single one of us in this room, including myself, uh, that, that would actually sit back and not quickly shoot down any notion or any thought that you and I would ever follow in Peter's footsteps and deny that we know or are associated with Jesus, right? But can I suggest to you today that the denying of Jesus actually reaches far beyond the borders of just standing in front of a crowd and announcing that we're no longer a follower of Jesus, that we don't even know the guy. Let me explain what I mean. Because I told you when I started praying, there's two verses that immediately came to my mind. Those were the first one. Now let me show you the second one. Listen to what Paul told Titus in Titus 1.16. He says, Such people claim they know God, but they deny Him by the way they live. So clearly it goes, if we're going to take those words at face value, clearly it goes beyond just saying the words, I don't know Him. Right? But listen to what Paul goes on to say. He says, they are detestable and disobedient. Can somebody say disobedient? disobedient? It says, worthless for doing anything good. Now, notice we've been called to do good works, right? Okay, so obviously you can tell by the word I'm asking you to repeat there. The word that sticks out to me the most is the word disobedient. And the point that I'm trying to convey and the point that I'm hoping that we'll grab a hold of here today is that what if it's possible that our denying of Jesus really just boils down to our unwillingness to obey what He has already told us to do when it comes to the areas of our speech, when it comes to the areas of our thoughts, our motives, and our actions. I told you it was Brussels sprouts. <laughs> In other words, listen, if we realize or not the litmus test that proves if we are denying Jesus or if we are surrendering ourselves to Him as a living sacrifice depends completely on our level of obedience to His Word and the promptings of the Holy Spirit in those four areas. With that said, please listen to these handful of verses because we've got to back it up with the Word if we're going to say it, right? John 14, 15 says this. This is Jesus talking. He said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He didn't just say that once. He actually said that three times in the same chapter. Now look at 1 John 5, 2-3. It says, We know we love God's children if we love God and obey His commandments. Loving God means keeping or obeying His commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. John also wrote this in chapter 2. He said, and we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. Now, I want to point out here, because the crazy part is this, is this individual isn't just lying to others, but they're actually lying to themselves. Right? Because we know what the Bible says in James 1.22. It says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving who? Yourselves. Listen, I realize what I'm about to say might seem really strong, and I'm sure it's probably not for anyone in here. It's probably for somebody that's going to watch this later on YouTube <laughs> or listen to the podcast. But, but listen, there's a, I have this strong impression that I need to say something today. And once again, man, it is a pile of English peas. But y'all please listen. 
I'm just asking today, man, if you can do yourself a favor and don't run around telling people that you love Jesus if you willfully and deliberately disobey God's Word because it isn't true. Yes, I, I think this is sure you might love what he can do for you. You might like the pieces of the Bible that make you feel good about yourself. You may even like the desires that fit your lifestyle. You may even admire Jesus. You may respect his teachings. But I want you to know today that you do not love him. Because why? Because Jesus made it crystal clear that loving him equals obedience to the complete and unadulterated word of God. Yes? Now, so you don't think I'm going legalistic on you, okay? What I'm not saying is this, is I'm not saying if you're sitting here today and everything inside of you says, I want to please God and I want to honor, my, you know, honor God with my life, but I follow my face. Guess what we all do? I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking to those people who know what the Bible says, but in their own hearts they say, you know what, I'm going to deliberately do what I want to and I don't care what the Word says because at the end of the day God will love me anyway. That's wrong. Amen? So listen, with those thoughts and those verses in mind, please listen to this quote by the late Derek Prince. It really gets to the heart of it. He said this, he said, your attitude towards God's word is your attitude towards God himself. You do not love God more than you love his word. You do not obey God more than you obey his word. You do not honor God more than you honor his word. You do not have more room in your heart and life for God than you have for his word. I'm not sure if it gets any clearer than that. Amen? Amen. All right, before we shift gears, once again, the point that I'm hoping that sinks really deep into every one of our hearts today is simply this, is that being a living sacrifice begins and ends with our willingness to surrender our lives to Him through the obedience, right, through the obedience of God's Word and the areas, once again, of our speech, our thoughts, our motives, and our actions. All right, now let's turn our attention to the second word. Remember we said in Romans 12:1 that God actually wants us to respond to Him, right? To literally everything that He has done for us by what? By becoming a living sacrifice. So for starters, I want to say this, just so we can kind of get this out of our head and out of our hearts, is that far too often as believers, I think that we just want to give God our sin, and by doing so we forget that He doesn't want our sin, He wants our lives. Right? And, and listen, and it's there when we say, you know what, I'm not just going to give God my sin, but I'm going to give Him my life. It's in that moment we become a living sacrifice, and we actually start walking that out in our daily Christian life. So if I can kind of say with that in mind, uh, let me just point out this. When it comes to the word sacrifice, biblically speaking, it is usually connected to three other really important words. Okay, and those three other words are these. It's an altar, a death, and a fire, an altar, a death, and a fire. Meaning that a majority of time when we see a sacrifice being offered up to God, it was usually placed on an altar and later, obviously it was dead, and later consumed by a fire as a sign that God what? That God had received what was being offered as pleasing to Him. It should be our goal and our desire to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Amen? So listen, it's my opinion that when we choose to lay down our lives, spiritually speaking, as a living sacrifice, it will be no different. When we bring ourselves to an altar, guess what? And we allow God to bring death to this flesh so He can resurrect what's of Him. Guess what? That the fire will come and we'll have incredible encounters with God. Amen? Amen. 
So listen, I truly believe, once again, if I can just say that again, that listen, we will, when we willfully lay down our whole lives, once again, our speech, our thoughts, our motives, our actions, our hearts, our priorities, our agendas, keep on going down on the altar and begin to ask God for His fire to come and purify every year of our lives. Guess what? Until, in other words, God, don't stop until I'm holy. Don't stop until I'm pleasing to you. Guess what? I think we come with that attitude, He comes. In fact, there's a real cool piece in the Bible where it actually says this, that God promised His people, if you bring the sacrifice, I'll bring the fire. I love that. Yes? So, I think it's possible that this is what Paul had in mind when he wrote this in Ephesians 4. kind of contains this idea. He said this, Throw off your old sinful nature in your former way of life, which is corrupt by lust and deception. I think we all get that. We all remember who we were before we met Jesus. Then it says in verse 23, Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and Holy. You see, in light of that passage, I dare to say that one of our problems that we are currently running into as the American church is this, is that we have overemphasized the abundant life that Jesus came to bring, which I wholeheartedly believe in. But in doing so, we've given very little attention, if any, to the first step of the sanctification process, which is this, it's death to our old self. Right? And, And if we understand that Death to the old self gets the ball rolling where we actually begin to live a pure and holy resurrected lifestyle that God has assured us in return He would come and He would bless us with His abundant life. So what am I trying to say? I'm saying this, that so often we get the cart before the horse. Yes? That, that in other words, that we want all the benefits, right? But we reject the idea of having any personal responsibility that would cause us to die to ourselves. See, if we actually look at the Bible with context, notice that the Bible constantly says, especially in Paul's writings, he says, you put off the old man. You put on the new man in Christ Jesus. There's personal responsibility. There is no such thing as let me just sit back and and believe God's going to do it all. We have personal responsibility to play in our own spiritual development and growth. Amen? Amen. Listen, I just think if today if you're sitting back, you're going, man, that's hard to swallow, right? In other words, um, let me say it this way. There's so many people that read the Bible and they dissect pieces. They go, well, that's Old Testament. Well, that's New Testament. This is what Jesus said. And I think at the end of the day, we need to remember, look, Jesus is the Word. From Genesis to Revelation. He did not divide himself in any of that. But, but, it, but in case we struggle with that, listen to what Jesus actually said in Luke 9, 23-26. So you can show that this isn't just me talking. It says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, if anyone says, I'm a Christian, right? Let him deny himself. If I can maybe pause there for a moment, I just think this, we can stop every day in life. This may sound like a really black and white statement, but, but I just think this, every day in our life, we are either denying Him or we're denying ourselves. Like, there's probably, you can't do both at the same time. <laughs> right? And so it says this, Then He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, man, the cross was a symbol of death to what? The flesh. Right? It was a death certificate. It was a sure death. Then it says in verse 24, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, remember what we said earlier about Peter, think it connects really well. It says, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. All right, let me give you one more thing. Like I said, I know this is heavy, but, but just kind of drive home this idea of sacrifice into our hearts and the altar and the fire. Listen to what Sergio Scatellini said in his book, The Fire of His Holiness. Please hear this first part. In fact, let me maybe pause here for a moment. Is there anybody here just simply by a show of hands, you say, man, I want to do great things for God. Okay? Yeah, yeah, man, like I'm with you. I'm like, I, God, please, Lord, let my life count for something. Right? Listen to this first part. He says this. He said, it's important to kick down our own idols before undertaking other spiritual battles. He said, we must purify ourselves in our own realm before we try to win the world or accomplish great things for Christ. Let me put that in another way. He's basically saying this. There's a lot of people that want to change the world, but there's few people who want to change themselves. But what I'm saying is, if we're willing to change ourselves, we will change the world. Amen? And then he goes on to say this. He says, if you are not seeking the fire of His holiness, you are in a different movement than the one Jesus begun. Like, wow. Let that sink in. And then he says this, but what is the fire of God? My personal opinion, this is the best definition I've ever read, ever seen, ever heard. But what is the fire of God? You may be asking, it is a transforming touch from God, which causes you to hate sin and love purity with renewed vigor and, in faith, pursue holiness with intense passion. The result is a consuming love for God combined with a desire to see the lost come to Christ. If I can maybe just stop for a moment. Listen, I, I spent years, in fact, I remember one time uh, sitting down at the table as with an absolute man of God, and there was a, a group of pastors there, and I was a young guy. I was like 21 years old. And I remember asking this guy, I admire him, still know him today, and, and I just said, hey, what is the fire of God? And he gave me some theological thing that did not connect to my heart at all. But I'm telling you what, that is a great definition of the fire of God. And so I'm asking you today, in light of that, man, how much does the fire of God burn in us? Like, how much do we hate what is evil and love what is good? How much do we want to see what, that, that the kingdom of heaven would come, right, on this earth? How much do we actually want to see souls saved, right? So, listen, so with all that in mind, let me just say this. I honestly believe as a church today that, man, that maybe we have forgotten one of the main things that John the Baptist said that Jesus would do when he came. Like, we all want Jesus, but let's remember what he came to do. Listen to Matthew chapter 3. We're almost done. You're going to survive. Here we go. Matthew 3, it says this. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. That's John talking. He says, but he, Jesus, who is coming after me, is mightier than I. He said, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So often we say, we want the Holy Spirit. But man, listen, the Holy Spirit comes with the fire. Right? And what's so funny is, especially in charismatic Pentecostal circles, we stop there. Like, yes, God, give us the fire. Give us the fire of the Holy Ghost. Right? But let's actually read the rest. Because John wasn't done talking. He said, his windowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable, which means never-ending fire. So what was John trying to tell us here? 
He was saying this, that God's fire is a holy fire, right? And it's unquenchable and it burns away what? The sin in our lives when we willingly submit, when we willing surrender ourselves to him. But what's he saying? But for those who do not submit to his fire, guess what? They will be utterly burned up like chaff. What's that? He's talking about hell, right? We can't say we believe in heaven and not believe there's the opposite, right? Therefore this, if I can just maybe land it here. What he's saying is that his fire will either burn in purification or in judgment in our lives. It will either burn in purification or it will burn in judgment in our lives. But that's our choice. Right? So in closing, listen, the Bible says this. The Bible says that the Word is a fire. The Bible says in Hebrews that our God is a consuming fire, right? Therefore, I want you to know today that if you and I mean business with God, it's impossible for any man or any woman to ever encounter God without encountering that fire, right? And so here's what my prayer has been for all of us. And I'll just kind of tell you, it's a list, but I'll kind of tell you the things that I'm praying about. And I just hope somehow in your own heart that something connects with God. And you say, Lord, I need your fire to burn that out of me. Because, see, what you got to understand is, is, yes, I'm coming and preaching this, but it's not in judgment. It's not in anger. It is what I've been hearing in the closet. It's where I've been with Jesus, right? Because it, it's messing with me, right? So now I get to come mess with y'all. <laughs> so, listen, here's what I'm believing for, that his fire will burn out of our hearts our lack of spiritual hunger and passion. Right? Like, like that his fire would come and burn out of our hearts the desire to live compromising lives. What do I mean by that? Where we have actually two feet in the church, but we have both eyes on the world. Right? Like his fire would come and burn out of us the desire to control our lives. His fire would come and burn out of our hearts our inclination to doubt and not trust him in every, every area of our lives. Man, his fire would come and actually burn out the part of us that wants to accept sin as a normal part of life. See, the Bible says without holiness, no one will see the kingdom of God. As he is holy, you be holy, right? So that is, that's the goal, right? It's not legalism, it's Bible, right? That the fire would come and actually do this, that it would actually burn out our stubbornness and our unwillingness to change. That the fire of God would actually come and burn out any addictions that we may have. That the fire of God would come and burn out any unbelief or passivity towards the Spirit of God. Here's what I mean by that. Is that pretty little box that we try to put the Holy Spirit in. Man, he would just disintegrate that thing. Right? And that we would actually have faith that doesn't box him in. It just says, God, you can do anything you want. Amen? And we would come with that kind of expectation every time we come to meet with God. That the fire of God would actually come. This is my prayer. The fire of God would come and actually burn out our independent spirits. Like, man, how long do we have to be the kind of people that can't get in unity? Right? That can't go. That's where God's going. That's where people's, God's people are going. Let's go with him. Right? That the fire of God would come and burn out all that lack of teachability. We all got it in areas. I got it in areas. Right? That the fire of God would come and burn out. This is really what my prayer has been. Any lack of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Like I've been praying and praying and praying, God, help me to be kind. Please, right? So once again, if we can kind of take this full circle, what's the purpose of God's Word? What's the purpose of His fire? Is that you and I might know what He expects from us, right? Because when we know what He expects from us, we can be obedient, yeah. right? And when we get obedient, guess what? That He might come with His fire, consume anything in us that doesn't please Him, anything that doesn't line up with His Word. 
Why? Because the goal is, is so yes, we can be obedient, but also what we've been talking about for all these past weeks, so that you and I can actually be the holy and spotless bride that He desires for us to be. So that you and I can actually begin to live consecrated lives. So that you and I can actually begin to have uh, a single allegiance. Not a dual allegiance, not a triple allegiance, not a quadruple allegiance, but a single allegiance, that first kind of love towards Him and Him alone. Yeah? And I just think this, man, what would happen if you and I today actually believe by faith that if we provide the sacrifice, which is our life, that just maybe, that just maybe God will provide the fire. Right? And and I just, man, I just encourage you to maybe think this. If you can believe that he's the one that can save you, if you believe the one that he's the one that can provide for you, protect you, heal you, and so on, then why can't we believe that he'll be the one that comes and purifies us as well? See, when we begin to believe like that, all excuses go out the window. Right? All excuses, all the reasons why we are who we are go out the window. And and we actually believe, he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. Amen? See, for for 20-something years, guys, I have prayed and I have prayed the Scripture. I've prayed this scripture thousands of times, Romans 12, 1, that God would make me a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. And and I've tried to live with this thing. I'm not saying I've arrived and still there with you guys, right? But I've just thought this, man, if I can give my 10%, God, you'll do the 90. Right? And and it's this simple thought that if we do the simple thing, God will do the complicated thing. Right? That if we do the small thing, He'll do the great thing. If we do the possible thing, He'll do the impossible thing. So, before I close, let me just simply say this. Because this morning in first service, I went over there and I, and I got on my knees and I was praying. And God reminded me of something that I have not thought about in a long time. Um, he took me back to a time when I was in one of our old youth pastors, our old worship pastor's house, Scott Schatzline. And I was house-sitting for him. And I was in his living room and, and, uh, and I was praying. And I, began, I remember asking God, God, I want to see your fire. And I heard the Lord speak to me, say this. He said, Quentin, where is my fire? And I said, God, it's in your eyes. That's what it says in Revelation. And I heard the Lord say this. Then if you want to see my fire, start seeking my face and stop seeking my hand. See, where we have failed as the church, not all of them, but as Church of America, is we've taught people really well how to seek God's hand, but we haven't taught people how to seek God's face. We've had church growth without a growth of holiness, and we're off. Amen? If you can, just close your eyes for a moment. Today I want to bring us back to that moment to understand that if we're going to be a living sacrifice, then man, it will require an altar, and it will require death, and it will require fire. And by doing that, all I'm simply saying is this, is this guy... Man believes in the power of an altar. I believe in having altar moments with the Lord where we get on our face and we seek Jesus with everything we got, that we lay down our lives. And I believe, because I've experienced it in my own life again and again and again, that when I've given my life in that moment, that the fire of God has touched me. It may have been a feeling, may have not been a feeling, but I've got up different. And so all I'm saying today, man, is there's a moment for a divine exchange that if we can kind of come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know what, while... Pastor was talking today, man, I realized that I got this and this and this and this in my life, and man, that needs to be burned up. And today I'm coming to give it to you, and I'm asking that you would burn it up and that you would release the abundant life to me that you promised, but I know this is standing in the way. 
And so today, all I'm going to do is I'm going to pray and I'm going to simply say, hey, man, the altar's open. If you want to come and kneel, if you want to stand, if you want to just come get along with God and just begin to tell the Lord, man, look, God, in response of everything that you've done for me, for the way you've saved me, for the way you've changed me, the way you've delivered me, God, I'm giving you my life today willingly as a living sacrifice. By faith, you don't have to feel something. You just have to just say, God, I'm in with you. That could be in your seat or it could be down here. I just ask that you would do it. So I'm going to pray that I'm going to say simply this, I'm getting out of the way. Service is over. You can leave if you want to leave or you can hang out and do business with God. So let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, I thank you for your word. God, you simply said in your word, God, that when it is preached, God, that it will accomplish that for which you sent it. And God, I've done my best to be faithful, God, what you've spoken to my heart, you've spoken to my life, God, over the past weeks. Lord, I'm asking today, God, that you would meet us here. God, I'm asking, Lord, as we come and we set ourselves at an altar, God, as we provide ourselves as a living sacrifice, Lord, that you would do what you promised and you would come with fire. Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would come and you would burn out any Anything in us, God, that doesn't line up with your word, that you would burn out disobedience, that you would burn out anything that doesn't come in agreement with you. And Father, our desire, God, because we know it's the purpose of the fire, is that when we get up and we live our lives, that we would live lives that are holy and pleasing to you because, God, we know that's our worship. God, we recognize today that worship is more than a song, it's our lives. And so, Lord, we come today to give you our hearts, to give you our lives as a pure form of worship today. And so, Lord, thank you today, God, for drawing us to you. And Lord, we thank you that you said in your word, when we draw near to you, God, you draw near to us, God, and we can meet you. And so, Lord, thank you, God, just for obedient hearts today. Thank you for willing hearts today. Jesus, we love you. We honor you. Thank you for meeting us here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.